On this episode of Longest War, Pennsylvania Air National Guard veteran Michaela Diallo. Where do the youth go, babe? Died in the valley that day. Things gonna be different now. Jackie can't come out and play. On Longest War, the podcast of VBC's post-9-11 veteran storytelling project, we feature the stories and experiences of Pittsburgh's post-9-11 veterans. I'm Nick Grimes, Army veteran of Afghanistan and host of the podcast. All right, ready? Yes. All right, Michaela, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here, Nick. So you are a member of the Pennsylvania Air National Guard. Yes. And what do you do in the Guard? I am a information manager. I work in the public affairs office. I kind of like manage the files and um, keep things organized out there for my office. Mm-hmm. So public affairs, that's so that is either the man or woman like that you see on TV and they're like, say there's no aliens on base, that kind of <laughs> that, stuff. That's exactly us. The yes. people that hide the truth from uh, <laughs> from your everyday common man. Exactly. That's you guys. Exactly. Su- suppressing, <laughs> suppressing the truth. We give the truth as much as we can, you know, need to know. Do you like it there? <laughs> I do. You like the job? Yes, I do. How long have you been in that position? I have actually my entire military career. Um, You've been in that, slotted in that, that position? I can't even believe it. Yeah. You're an E5 now? Yes. And you've been there since you were an E1? Yes. But you can't get promoted because it's an E5 slot. Exactly. So <laughs> actually, but you know, that's the thing about being in the guard and having the dual role of having a civilian career and a family and working at the base too. It's kind of a lot to juggle. So I haven't had the time to really like cross train and go away to school for like the four months for one of the jobs I was focused on. Um, I do plan to do that. I have an exciting fitness test coming up. And then after I take that fitness test, then I uh, plan to change. What does the Air Force fitness test consist of? Um, it's very hard. First of all, it is... Um, Three jumping jacks in five minutes. <laughs> of resting. No, it's, um, <laughs> it's actually 1.5 miles. And uh, it has to be done like for the women. I shoot for about 15 minutes. I think I have a little bit more than that, but just on the safe side, about 15 minutes and 1.5 miles. Push-ups and sit-ups. How many push-ups? So I, for women now, I think, I want to say it's like... Four. Fifteen. Fifteen? Yeah. And how many sit-ups? In a minute. It's the same for the males and females for the sit-ups, right? Oh, is it? It, it could be, because it's kind of a lot of sit-ups. So that's would, how it is in the Army. Like, right. It was, you have slower, you have more time to run two miles, mm-hmm. so we do two miles instead of a mile and a half. Right. Uh, you, yeah, like 15 push-ups, but the sit-ups are the exact same, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. So sit-ups, I, I think, are like 36 or more. I thought it was like 50, maybe. Right. Or 49, 48, something like that. Something like that. Maybe that's, that's why I didn't pass the last fitness test, but I plan to pass. Because <laughs> you don't one. know how many you need to do. <laughs> Maybe that's step one <laughs> is learning what the, what the requirement is, <laughs> and then uh, shooting shooting to get that. Shooting for that. It's the goal. <laughs> We're keeping this oh, in. This Nick. has got to stay in. Uh, so you've been in for how long? What, what year did you join? Two thousand, right? Two thousand one. Two thousand one. Mm-hmm. March. It was when, March two thousand one. Is when I first swore in. Delayed yeah. entry program, right? Right. So I didn't go to basic training yet. I was still in high school. I joined at 17 because that's when I graduated. 
Uh, my parents had to, you know, sign the waiver for me to join. First, I joined for college benefits was like an incentive. Um, but then after going to the base, meeting the people, getting used to the atmosphere, I really felt really patriotic, which is why I obviously stayed in. But um, yeah, March 2001, super peaceful then. Right. Right. And the recruiter, I remember she said something along the lines of, oh, you know, nothing's going on. Like, they're not going to send us, you know. Uh, and then September 11th happened and I hadn't gone to basic training yet. I was scheduled to go soon. Um, and she even told me, she was like, I know, you know, we weren't expecting this. So there's a lot of deployments coming up. She was like, you don't have to still join if you don't want to. But I said, no, like, I feel like it's the right thing to do. So I stayed in and here I am. Mm-hmm. How old were you at the time? 17. Well, how old were you when you went to basic training? You know what? I was still 17. You're still seven. Oh, wow. You were super young. Would you I graduate was. when you were like 16? Jesus. So 17. Um, but my birth. So I didn't. When's your birthday? February 3rd. There, okay. Right. You were one of those weird kids that was like way younger than everyone <laughs> right. else. Right. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, right, so you grew up in Wilkinsburg. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, African-American female. Yes. Not the most common track to take. That's to true. To join the military. That's true. What was your reasonings? Um... That's a good question. You know what? My uncle, I was close with my uncle. He joined. He was in the army, Vietnam veteran. He really enjoyed his service. Like I could tell that it was really meaningful for him, like as a Vietnam vet. Was he drafted? I believe he was drafted. Okay. But I know he stayed. But when he got back, he stayed in the army guard for a while or army reserves. And so I know he really like liked the military, you know, he, not that he talked about a lot. He was kind of like a typical Vietnam vet where they, he didn't talk about experience necessarily, but you know, his, I, I knew that his views on the military was like positive. It was kind of like, you know, something he was proud of. Cause even when I first joined, um, he came out with me to like check out the base. Like my very first visit there wasn't my parents. It was like with my uncle. Cause he was well, still in high school. Yeah, exactly. Okay. When I was still 17. Cause he wanted to like, you know, be on a base again. You know, that was like really exciting for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, is he one of those Vietnam vets? Like, uh, you see a lot of guys that were, it's like that black hat says veteran. It's got the little Vietnam. Is he one of those guys? Yeah, he's one of those. Okay. Yeah. So like you can tell, like, mm-hmm. you oh, know, yeah. when you meet him, he's a veteran. Absolutely. Okay. Uh-huh. So yeah, typically seems like the guys that are more, or, and girls, they're more kind of open with that stuff that like wear the pins or the hats or have the stickers on the car. They usually had better experiences, it seems like. You don't see a lot of those guys wearing a a Marine Corps jacket if they didn't love being in the Marine Corps, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's that's interesting. So what did your parents think when you joined? Uh, They were supportive. They were very surprised just because of like my personality. None of my friends were joining. My friends were surprised. What did your friends say? Uh, They did not encourage me to go. Like they were like worried about me, especially after, um, you know, September 11th happened, which kind of like changed a lot of people's mindset on, you know, it was, it was a surprising moment in our history, I think. Sure. So um, I don't think anyone was anticipating it. Right. So yeah, they were like, oh, don't go like things like that. But I still wanted to. So when did you leave for basic? I was scheduled to go in September anyhow. Right. And then that happened and I was flying commercials. So the flights were changed, but I went like in the same month, like the end of the month, in September still. And so the Pennsylvania Air National Guard yes. is a part of the Air Force. Yes, uh-huh, okay. we are. So you went to Air Force basic training in? Lackland. Lackland Air Force Base. Yeah, San Antonio. In San Antonio, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get there and a lot of guests, we talk about the basic training experience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you get off the drill sergeants are yelling and stuff. Like, so for you guys, like you had like four course meals 
uh, I imagine, daily, <laughs> weekly massages. How, how was Air Force basic training? <laughs> Typical Army guy. You know what? Our basic training was hard, though. Really? It, it what, really... Did they run out of caviar at the defect? <laughs> Right. And that and that was just awful. No, I'm just kidding. It was it was it was um actually harder than I expected. Yeah. Maybe typically it would be a little bit more easy. I don't know. But I think the timing that I went um, and everyone was just thinking everyone's going to be deployed. So they were really training us for like the war. Effort. The anticipation you would deploy. Right. So it was very, very intense. Now, I will say. Well, how do your how mm-hmm. do your drill sergeants distinguish themselves? Do you call them drill sergeant? What do you call them in Air Force training? T.I.'s. Is that what you refer to them? You're like, you raise your hand and go, hey, T.I. I think drill sergeant. Drill sergeant. Do they wear, do they have round brown hats? Yeah, they wear the hats. Okay. And did the females have the ones that like, they were like cowboy hats, like they swoop up and they're like tied up at the top? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what was the day one experience? Was it just, was it, so we did, in the army, we would uh-huh. do this thing called the duffel bag drag. We're like, mm-hmm. you you have to run like a quarter mile to another place <laughs> for no reason with all your stuff in your arms. And it's super heavy. You've got to keep it like held outright while wow. they scream at you and tell you how you're probably going to die soon. Wow. Is that a, was that similar? It seemed pretty similar. I think I got there. My unit had started already because like our flights, all the flights were like messed up. But um, I just remember like they stood us in a line and we're like, yelling in my mind for no reason. I'm thinking, what are they so angry about? You know, I I wasn't (laughs) anticipating this. Um, I remember them like making fun of this girl's shoes, which I thought was so (laughs) odd, like just anything, you know, and like they take your things. Yeah, we had a male. So my first TI during my basic training experience was a man and he would tell us all the time, like he had never had a a female flight. And so he was actually trying to be extra hard on us, I feel like, because he was like, I'm not going to be easy on you because you're females. And like, you know, it was just like a thing for him. Like, right. He actually ended up getting like removed from our flight, wow. though. And we did get a, a female TI because he was just kind of like really extreme. Was there anybody that like couldn't handle it that like just because there's always that one <laughs> idiot, right? That just has to back talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like they just they can't control themselves. It's like, what'd you say about me, Drill Sergeant? <laughs> Right. You're just like, God, this guy. Right. Yep, go ahead. We'll start doing push-ups now, drill sergeant. Seriously. No, everyone was was, you know, they they kept it they kept it cool. I remember a drill sergeant was like, if anyone questions you, um, because I think this was when he was getting in trouble, right? So he was like, if anyone asks you like, if you mind when your drill sergeant swears at you, you're supposed to stick up for your drill sergeant and say, like, no, our drill sergeant doesn't swear at us. And I was like, okay. Oh yeah. It was our drill, that's, I don't, I don't remember if they used any words that weren't swear words. I remember one guy, <laughs> he asked, he's like, drill sergeant, I need to go pee. And drill sergeant says, what did you say, private? He's like, I need to go pee. And he goes, okay, well, go sit back down and you come tell me when you have to take a piss <laughs> and then you can go. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was like, we talk like adult men around here, private. <laughs> that is really funny. Yeah. No, I definitely cried one story in my basic training experience. Why? Had a nice, good cry. You know what? Um, <laughs> nice, good cry. Because it was stressful. Watch out, ISIS. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, I think um, I got in trouble for, for something. I felt my, like, you know, they inspect your, like, rooms and your bed has to be made, like, perfectly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like I didn't pass it like that first time, mm-hmm. and they dumped everything. Yeah, yeah it oh, just yeah. made me cry. And then like, but the drill sergeant was not like sympathetic. Like, oh, you're crying. He's like, you know, he, he got angry, right? Like, right? Yeah. yeah. He was like, I don't care that you're crying. Like, you know, <laughs> you're like, just making it worse on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
So that was the one and only time I cried in basic training. You learned so your lesson. I did. <laughs> How long was basic for you? It was, now let's see, six weeks. Six weeks. And then you had to go to like an MOS school? I did. That was in uh, Keesler. Mrs. It was in uh, Keesler Air Force Base is where it was at. Biloxi. Mm-hmm. Gross. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm from Mobile, which is like an hour <laughs> away from Biloxi. Um, yeah. Biloxi's, yeah. I mean, there's lots of casinos. Were there the casinos when you were there? Um, there didn't seem to be much to do. There probably was like casinos. Oh, tons of them. Tons of casinos. Right. Like that's, that's the only thing to do is lose all your money. Yeah. So how long was that school? That was also, that was kind of short. I, that was probably like five weeks information manager school. I got my first tattoo. Uh, cause we all, of course you did. Right. Cause when we all, my friends and I, we had graduated and that was what we all did when I got tattoos. I remember that. Right. First time that you have any freedom and you go make a dumb decision. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's what we all do as soon as you graduate. <laughs> right. It was so corny. Actually, I got it covered up with another tattoo. Because when I, got, I was like, this is lame. But yeah. So you came back to Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and then went to were, college. You were doing the part time Air Force. And then so you went to college. What did you go to school for? So my undergrad was English literature, concentration in creative writing. So I would mm-hmm. be a writer at that time. And um, but then I went on because I thought, oh, when I graduated, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. But um, I went on and got my master's in actually counseling, community counseling and school counseling. Where did you go to your IUP undergrad? Still. Oh, IUP for both, both of them? Yeah. And that's Indiana University of Pennsylvania? Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is, has nothing to do with University of Indiana? No. It's that Indiana is a place in Pennsylvania? Exactly. I just learned that. I thought that was like a satellite school of Indiana. Right. Uh, so that was weird. It is weird. But it's mm-hmm. not a... Uh, that's pretty close. How far is that from here? It's just an hour away. Did you did you move down there for that? I did. So I lived on campus and I would come in town to do my drills. And actually during at least two summers. So it was really kind of a good way to make money during the summer. Like I would work at the base or there was two summers and I went um, on a TDY to England and was on an active duty base for two summers oh, that's during cool. college. Yeah, it was cool. What did you do while you were there? I was in the mail room doing mail. With but like with everyone in the military though, it was sure. like all military doing the mail for that base. That's different. Kind of cool. Where in England was it? It was so RAF Alkenbury. Um, so it was kind of like a country. It was close to Cambridge. Okay. Oh, college. Cool. Yeah. Oxford, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely, it was close to that uh, Cambridge College How, in uh, England. Mm-hmm. So it was like um, regular nine to five. It was so Air that Force was, job, and then you go out and. Exactly. Eat their crappy food, their crappy weather, their crappy beers, their crappy attitudes. Just kidding, British people. We love you. We do love you. I had a good time there. That was Nick saying all those things. It was me saying those things. What are you going to do? So you did that. You Mm -hmm. What made you, so your your graduate degree, counseling? Mm -hmm. Yes. That is a dramatic shift from creative writing. That was a dramatic shift. Um, So in my undergrad, I was a RA resident assistant. That actually paid for my room and board, and then the Air Force was paying for my tuition. But when I got the job, actually, I had one of those kind of like open door policies and stuff for when I was asleep, obviously. So, like, people would come in, students, with like their problems, right? And talk a lot. And so I kind of, um, but I enjoyed that and I like helping people, mm-hmm. and that was meaningful for me. So, it, that's how I got interested cool. in counseling. Mm-hmm. And now you are working. Yeah, it's it's human services, social services. I've been at Mercy Behavior Health for uh, a few years, four years now. and But I actually started working in PA SERS, which is a great program for veterans uh, specifically. And 
it's basically social work for veterans in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to be able to work with fellow military people and we connect them to services and help with like a number of different needs. And all the field staff there are all veterans, right? Yes, we're all veterans. It's very cool. And it what's the, nice. um, for people listening, what's the website? The website is www.paserves.org. Or you could call us at one 855 And I know uh, your partner crime, Dave, mm-hmm. always says that if they can't help you, they can get you in touch with someone that can help you, whatever the problem may be, pretty quickly. Is that true? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, we follow up the same day that we get um, an assistance request. And we, yeah, we got people in touch with like the services that they need. We're connected with basically all of the veteran servant organizations in this area and even outside of this area. So we definitely can help veterans with anything that comes up that you need. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So let's talk about deployment. Sure. Kyrgyzstan. Yes. How do you, it's, it's, we called it Manus. Um, but mm-hmm. how do, how do you guys, Manas? We say Manas. Manas. We're fancy. Because it is very fancy. Yes. Well, so Manas is in Kyrgyzstan, which uh-huh. Um, so like 80% of people in America couldn't point out Iraq or Afghanistan on a map. Right. So I'm sure they couldn't find Kyrgyzstan on a map. Cause I'll be honest, I can barely find Kyrgyzstan on a map and I've been there. Right. Uh, so Kyrgyzstan is like North of Afghanistan mm-hmm. in the Himalayas. Right. It's like right there. Mm-hmm. Beautiful mountains there. Beautiful. So you deployed there in 2008, I believe. 2008. Mm-hmm. What'd you do while you were there? Our unit was on alert missions. So at the 171st, what... Our base does is refuel airplanes midair so that um, the jets, the fighter jets and all that don't have to land um, in dangerous zones. We can refuel them midair. So I deployed with the ops section, which is the pilots. Uh, Operations. Operations, yes. Uh, Which is like our pilots and our flyers and our boom operators because it's called a boom when they're um, refueling the airplanes. I did a lot of their like records keeping to like write down, you know, how much fuel was offloaded. Um, and keep the records for the pilots. Kyrgyzstan is very close to Afghanistan. Right. So you guys were running support operations for planes flying in Afghanistan because you're refuelers. Yeah. Kyrgyzstan is easily within range of Afghanistan. Right, right. These are massive refueling planes, right? What, yes. What, what are they, C? KC-135. KC-135. Mm-hmm. So they would fly into Afghanistan when, so either fighter jets right. or like A-10, mm-hmm. close air support Right. They have what's called on-station time, and they mm-hmm. can fly around and give you air support for X number of hours, or they'll run out of fuel. You guys would send your fuelers mm-hmm. in there to the fight, where right. they would refuel these vehicles that were on station, flying over in support of like troops in contact on the ground, correct? Exactly, yes. Okay, and you would keep record of all like flight times, right. uh, fuel distribution, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, jet numbers, all of that. Also, there was like an, kind of like an incentive program, something positive, where like, for the people that were away for a while, anyone on base could do this. They could have a flag flown on one of the planes while we were doing a refueling. And so then I would like type up that this flag was flown, this date, this jet, this one's fuel offloaded. It was like something good for the families that the uh, the military members, troops, airmen, all that could bring home to their families. And then families too, like you see them in businesses sometimes, right? Like it'll be the certificate that says like mm-hmm. this flag was flown over combat operations in Afghanistan on such and such a date. Right, I and type you, those. And you present that to somebody with the flag and they'd frame it and all that cool stuff. So like when you see in the uh-huh. business, that's where it came from usually. Right, yes. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you deployed? 20, so I was probably like 23. Were you married yet? No, engaged. You were engaged? Yeah. 
what was uh what your fiance say when you're like i'm going to kyrgyzstan he's besides so wh- where's that right besides where's that he's he was just so sweet so he like looked up everything about the country you know just like web search it and like the weather is like this here here's a time difference then he was just very concerned and i talked to him as much as i could while i was over there how was that what time of year did you deploy when was this this was november so it was it was cold right mm-hmm. it was on the colder side not all, too awful that's all though. i really remember about Kyrgyzstan was like at nighttime. It was brutally cold, right? And just hating it, having really? to walk from those clamshell tents to the defect. It was like freezing. We didn't stay in tents, no, but I know the army and obviously you guys did not stay in tents. <laughs> I know, but I used to. I was like, why do they make the every other brand stay in tents? Uh, yeah, did you go? Well, you guys were in a luxury hotel. Was it a Hyatt? <laughs> they were dorms. Was there a Trump Taj Mahal? What? <laughs> they were. They were just like dorms. Dorms. Ah, yeah. yeah see, we call those barracks in the army. <laughs> And there are rules that must be followed inside of those. Right. Well, we had rules. How many concierges did you have? <laughs> just one. Can just, you imagine? Just one. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Whatever. Terrible. Yeah. But yeah. That was 2008? It was. Mm-hmm. You were there from until January? No. I think I came back before that. Uh, Our deployments at that time weren't as long. I'm trying to think. But we were, it was a lot of work though. Like we. I think you might've been there when I was there. Oh really? Because I, I flew into Afghanistan. So I, I was there all of 2009 Afghanistan and I flew oh, in like wow. the last week of December and I was in Kyrgyzstan the last week of December. So well, maybe. Yeah. yeah. If you were there in December, huh. we maybe passed each other in, in the chow hall. Oh, I'm sure you didn't wander over our derelict portion of the no. camp. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. And we had long days, though, because it was alert oh, mission. Yeah. So it was like 12 hours shifts of like daytime and then evening shifts. We what were, were your parents' thoughts? We told them you were deploying. Hmm. I think they were more worried, especially my dad, particularly, um, was more worried, you know, supportive, of course. And, and they prayed for me and everyone in my unit. But, you know, he wasn't really he wasn't that excited. About it. Right. Exactly. What about your uncle, the Vietnam vet? He was deceased by then. Oh, yeah. I'm but sorry. I know he I know he would have been proud. For sure. Yeah, that's it's like my grandpa was in the Navy, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he died when I was like 16. And like, I really wish he had been around. Right. When I joined, like that would have been, I don't know. Cause like we had a great relationship. Like mm-hmm. I, I loved him, but he yeah. always, I mean, I was soft when I was a kid, you know? Right. Uh, and I think he would have been like super proud. I'm sure Absolutely. your uncle the same thing. Like when you got ready mm-hmm. to deploy, like that would have just, man. He would have loved that. Yeah. That's true. But it's nice to have those memories, you know? Yeah. Like, do you think that's why you joined? <sighs> You know, I don't know. I mean, there were myriad reasons. Yeah. Um, it's, I, he told me, because he was in the Navy. His dad was in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's like, boy, whatever you do, don't join the Navy or Marine Corps. So I didn't even contemplate those. Okay. Uh, it was Air Force or Army. Like, those were only two options that I, I pretended like the others didn't even exist. Right. And I, I certainly think that played a piece of it. I mm-hmm. may have, who knows, I may have joined the Navy if it weren't for him saying that to me. Yeah. Um, that's weird. Interesting. Right? Look, I'm the one doing the interview here, okay? I know. Sorry, I was curious. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, where was I going? So how long have you been in at this point? 15 years. 15 years. And you're going to do 20? I hope. Yeah, I am. I plan to. Over your 15 years, from basic training until now, who's had the largest impact on you? You know, drill sergeant, first sergeant, platoon sergeant, mm-hmm. company commander, whatever. There was a few really great people that I worked with at the base. There was someone that worked in my office. She's since retired. She was a master sergeant and she was just so like open and, you know, caring and understanding. She's one of the people that got me to stay in 
you know, mm-hmm. when like during the reenlistment, I was like, oh, I don't know. She's like, oh, why not? What does it hurt? You know, and she wanted me to do AGR, which I didn't know. But um, I did. I did stay in uh, probably due to like her influence with her being like a woman. And there aren't as many women at our base. I mean, there's definitely women there. Sure. I'm not saying there's not. But she joined. She would tell me stories about when she first joined. There was definitely there's probably like maybe two or three women on the base, you know, and would kind of like talk about her experience with that, which I found like inspiring that she stuck with it for all those years. So yeah, she was influential. So you told me a story a while back about experience you had. Right. Where were you at? When when was this? So what year was this? So President Obama was, this was the first inauguration. 2008. Right. They needed support from the military for his inauguration. It was actually an army detail, an army mission, but Army National Guard, and they needed some Air Force support. To do what, exactly? To, well, we were, I guess, I don't, I never done an inauguration before, but I guess because he was like the first African-American president, they just weren't sure how the country would react, so they wanted like more, they wanted some National Guard support there. Mm-hmm. And so I volunteered to go, and um, one of the the uh, other airmen in my office, she went with me. And so we go up to D.C. and we um, were with a group of people, some from the mainly from the Army. And then it was like a few Air Force, probably four of us total. Now, someone there, I didn't know her. She was in the Army. She we were in the same like room or barrack. And (laughs) she made and she made this joke like this racist joke. Right. About black people and stealing of all things. I don't steal. It was like this like stereotypical joke. Right. That she thought was funny. Poor taste. It was totally poor taste because right. that's offensive. Like you're talking about like me, I'm black. And how, how many other black people were in the room? Just me. Just you. Okay. Well, yeah, just me. But then, but my whole family's black. Well, you know, right. Well, yeah, but I mean, but, so. <laughs> yeah, it was just me in the room as far as like the other, um, the only other black person. So she, she says this joke and then. <laughs> right. And so she says this joke. She was like on the other side of the room, but I clearly heard it. And like the group her group of friends and their officer, which I thought, like, I can't believe the officer didn't correct her, um, was there and they laughed at it, right? Because they apparently thought it was funny. So I thought, wow, I can't believe this. Like, we're all supposed to be military, like military brothers and sisters. Like, what if I had, like, gone on actual deployment with these people? Like, would they have my back? Like, Not only that, you're yeah. there to support inauguration of the first black president. <laughs> right, exactly. The irony here. <laughs> it was so much irony. yeah. So you confronted joke was, her, right? I did. So, yeah. So I said something. I was like, well, you know, I don't think that joke was appropriate, um, especially since we're all, you know, in the military together. Something to that effect is what I said. And she's like, oh, I didn't know you were still in the room. <laughs> and she made it so much worse. Right. And she right. would have just said, like, you know what? I apologize. Like, that wasn't, right. you know, that was in poor taste. I that would have been fine. But then she's like, oh, I'm, I didn't know you were still there. Right. So the response is not, oh, my God, I'm so terribly sorry. It's, oh. You're still here. I usually save those jokes for, for once you've left and then I still tell them. Right. Like the most backwards racist response you could possibly worst. have. It was to the worst response. To reaffirm your racism. Yeah. It was the worst response. I was like, oh, thanks for being apologetic. So then I did talk to the officer who was over there and she's like, well, I'll handle it. Even though she heard the joke, but I think they just probably weren't, maybe there wasn't black people in their unit and maybe they always told jokes like that. I don't know. Do you remember so where I they guess were it was from? Handled. What guard? 
No, I can't remember. I wish I could. It's probably like West Virginia or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, it's probably Alabama. That's probably my people. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I did tell my first sergeant he was there too. And I talked to him. So was this like in the beginning of that uh, like detail? Or was this it at the was. end? It was. No, it was at the beginning. So it really set the tone. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you know, they had it. So it ended up being like this talk with like me and my first sergeant and people that I knew from my unit and their unit. And they apologized and it was fine after that. But I definitely had to just kind of drive home the point like it's not whether I'm in the room or not, because those type of jokes don't have a place really right. in the military. Like they they just create a culture that's like uncomfortable for people that we've all signed up to kind of put our lives on the line in a lot of ways. So you can't really think that type of like, you know, disrespectful joking is OK. Right. And so, you, would yeah. think, you would think that kind of thing would be, I don't, I don't know, like eradicated by now. Because the military, and I think we, we can all, particularly our generation, right? Um, military is very well integrated, right? Like the military, I mean, you can be transgendered and join now. You know what I mean? Like you can be openly gay. And right. But not back then. And I think active duty is more integrated. I think sometimes, you know, maybe National Guard and Reserve is not quite as integrated, but I think it's getting there. The military as a whole is starting to address it more, but... You know, this was prior to Obama, so they still had don't ask, don't tell. And sure. They still had, you know. Do you think any of it has to do with, like you said, active duty, like you literally live with people for years at a time, mm-hmm. um, sleep with them, eat with them, shower with them, run with them, you know, right. go to combat with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hang so out. So you develop this time. closeness, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it's much, It's. I mean, it's really a meritocracy, right? Like, uh if you suck at everything, like you suck at everything, like no one's going to recommend you for an award or promotion, sure. but you know, gay, straight, black or white, if you're Billy Badass, um, you know, people are going to recognize it. Do you think that Guard and Reserve units kind of lack that cohesiveness just because you're not, I mean, it's, I it's, think so. it's a part-time gig, right? Right. I think because it's part-time, we don't typically live together, you know, so we went on this detail we were together for, I think it was like four or five days. Um, that we were staying together in these close quarters. But besides that, it's not the same as active duty. Because I was, I did have those two TDYs, active mm-hmm. duty, that one deployment. And it's different when you're like with everyone all the time. And I think it is, it adds cohesiveness and it is better integrated. Like, are you closer that. with those people you deployed with than you are with yes. the folks in your unit that didn't deploy? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I still, you know, keep in touch with and, and have a special place, you know, for the people that uh, I deployed with. Is that the only real incident you've ever... Yeah, I think that was the... Pretty isolated? I mean, you can be honest. Sure. Yeah, I think that was the most overt incident. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope it wasn't more blatant than that. Right, well, yeah. You show up wearing like a clan hood one day. That's when they get more direct. Right, yeah. Oh, man, I love telling that story, dude, because that response, it's, oh, it's it so, something. it's just mm-hmm. so like flippant, right? It's just, oh. You're here. I thought all the blacks were gone out of the room. Like, that's, that's the answer. Right. Jesus, that's just... Well, so would you draw a distinction uh-huh. between like this person that you didn't know and if, I don't know, let's say if I said that joke, right? Yeah. It would be still in poor taste, right? Yeah. But would it be as offensive? No. Probably, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I know you though. And right. Be, so yeah. it's not like this is the only time you've heard a joke like that necessarily. It's just the first time like from a stranger no, that had the audacity the to do it. That I heard a joke like that in the military. Really? I've heard it in like oh, man, maybe the army, my high we school. Told terribly inappropriate jokes really? all the time about everything. You could age, race, sex, uh, oh. sexual orientation. I mean, it's huh. just the crudest, most horrible. <laughs> I was 
<laughs> no. Oh yeah, like that's. Uh-uh. I think that was just maybe that's just the army. Maybe that's just men in the maybe army. Maybe that's just the army thing then, because she was army. Maybe we're 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 lowbrow in sensitive. the army. You guys were a little more highbrow than us. Like you guys like wear heels in uniform, right? <laughs> like your dress uniforms, don't you? Oh well, yeah. Yeah, yeah we heels. <laughs> yeah, I guess I can't see my snap, but she yes, snapped. I did. She double snapped mm-hmm. for the listeners at home. You have. A child now. I do. A beautiful she daughter. She is... Four years old. Four years old. So the question then, uh, and then we'll be brief about this. Mm-hmm. You're a single mother. I am. What are your fears of deploying again? Hmm. And I, I'm going to just assume here that you have like a family care plan that your parents would watch her. Right. While yeah. you're deployed. Right. Does that kind of loom large in the back of your mind? Like It does. It it does. Because um, recently, actually at the base, they were talking about like more deployments coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's kind of like a cycle for the National Guard and ours is coming up soon. Now, in my career field, there are certain people that are in it. And I said, you know, if they the people without children that are single, if they can go first, I would prefer it. I'll still go because that's my obligation. Right. right. But you'd rather not go while all the single airmen are just back at the 171st hanging out. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I volunteered for the last one. Um, but you wouldn't do that again now with a with No, a, not a with my baby girl. <laughs> yeah. She's four? She's What's four. Her name? Hannah. Hannah. She's so sweet. All right. Well, I think we're good. Michaela, thanks so much for joining us today. We enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thank you, Nick, for having me. I enjoyed being here. In the end, we all Thanks for joining us on Longest War, the podcast of VBC's post-9-11 Veterans Storytelling Project. To learn more about our project and the Veterans Breakfast Club, sign up for our newsletter, and to get a schedule of storytelling events throughout Western Pennsylvania, visit us at veteransbreakfastclub.com. And be sure to join us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. I'm Nick Grimes. See you next time. feel no pain Sign of the eagle flying high The flag we rally behind Always asking God, how can this world be so unkind? The Longest War Podcast is a member of the Social Voice Podcast Network, a nonprofit project of the Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh Oral History Initiative. And the night was filled with rain. In a life she fell.